generally the word yoga is uh, the goal of yoga is assumed to be self knowledge but in shirobindo's view self knowledge is incomplete without world knowledge for a number of reasons one the world is an extension of the self this is a very fundamental truth that shirobindo brings especially if we have to have the goal of a divine life here and not just an escape from this world then we need to understand the world not only as it appears to us superficially in its appearances but in its depth all the forces that are at work that have gone into its making all the forces that act upon us and the world at any given moment all this forms part of a yogic knowledge which is comprehensive and integral second because we have to negotiate through the world forces at play and then only we can arrive at any even semblance of self knowledge very often that's why i get little worry of uh, many of these lectures and talks and easy to do yoga books and often people when they talk about yoga or when they think about yoga they want to know a simple technique so you know they ask you that look how to meditate how to do this how to find the psychic being <laughs> well it's a whole journey that's how everyone who has walked the path and in this journey many things come into play it's not just how we sit and meditate how we deal with the smallest things of life and that's why it's so important to understand yoga in all its comprehensive vastness in which nothing really gets excluded everything goes as a feeder into the flame i'm reminded of two little stories uh, one is story of krishna prem he was ronald nixon some of us may be knowing him very famous british mathematician who went to india and uh, he took to the path of yoga and he was uh, rechristened as krishna prem by his master mayeshoda and uh, this man took to the life of yoga and one day his friend came from uk and he saw him basically cleaning the kitchen and uh, you know putting mud over the chulhas you know those days mud chulhas were there and he got the shock of his life because he had heard he is doing yoga and he thought he will suddenly see a man sitting in deep meditation who will just say tathastu and everything is done and he saw him doing this and he said what you are such a big mathematician and you know do you think this will take you towards your goal so he made a very interesting reply he said i don't know about that but those who have walked before me have walked this way they have gone this way because it's a whole we move through a whole complex play of forces and while um, it looks very nice that we sit and do some breathing exercises and we sit and do meditation but unless one understands the way one is constituted constituted the extraordinary complexity in the making of uh, why man is govind uh, spoke about the complexity of man in in the making of a little blade of grass even in that its whole infinity that has poured itself into it so unless we really understand it not just intellectually because intellectual understanding is the uh, really not the real understanding it's like reading a book on um, mount everest and believing that one knows it 
it's one thing to <laughs> to know all about mount everest from a book or to write books on mount everest but it's quite another when one walks so it's a whole journey and in this journey at some point or the other we have to confront this complexity of creation there is no shortcut there is no easy way in one of his letters sharbindo says this is no shortcut or easy sadhana in fact no yoga is a shortcut or easy sadhana like french without tears or you know uh, french made easy it's not like that one has to confront this enormous complexity that we are many forces have gone into the making of what we call ourselves today as man and of which we are aware only of a very very small fraction very small segment only that which is immediately in our front only to that which we are accustomed and habituated and we believe that well that's what is me that's what is the world in savitri those beautiful lines man still in child in nature's mighty hands in the succession of the moment lives to a changing present is his narrow right the future flees before him as he walks he looks at imaged imagined garments not a face the past is his background and support he waits to see the consequence of his acts he waits to weigh the certitude of his thoughts he knows not whether at last he shall survive or perish from the earth like the mastodon and the sloth where he was king this is the kind of ignorance and unconsciousness in which we live and uh, the paradox is that well we are still in the evolutionary scheme of things the highest and it's quite natural for man to believe that uh, he knows all but uh, this becomes the most weakest spot the biggest difficulty of man is this idea this inbuilt Um, belief that he knows everything but uh, truly speaking self knowledge world knowledge or any kind of knowledge for that matter even scientific knowledge truly begins when we believe that we don't know this humility is the fundamental thing and to observe things just as they are not color them with our imaginations which our ideas thinkings uh, opinions views for instance one of the commonest uh, view points that very often we have is that there is a material reality and there is a spiritual reality so you know we create them as sharp antagonists to each other but then when one really looks at the uh, spiritual point of view from the integral knowledge point of view one discovers that this kind of a sharp distinction is not true the spirit does not become matter suddenly it is through a series of steps that the spirit becomes matter and the evolutionary journey also takes the same route shobindo uses the word involution and evolution and i have a very simple way of understanding it or explaining it that what really is involution how does spirit become matter so well this act of speaking itself uh, is one example of uh, the process of involution before one speaks there is um, an idea there is a thought being conscious one has to speak on that now this idea can express itself in many many ways and because it has the freedom to express itself in many ways it's very good always very good not to make notes or to fix that this is how you know one is going to express because then we limit it to a particular formation this is an idea 
Now at the next level this idea takes the form of body of thoughts. And even at the level of body of thoughts it's still subtle. And then it takes the form of speech. So you see it's already come down two notches down actually the act of speaking reduces a truth. Um, it can clarify it can also confuse. <laughs> so it has already come three notches down. But then look what's happening now. This um, speech is getting converted into various forms of energies within us as understanding and uh, a machine is picking up in the wire and eventually it is going into a little chip where it's getting lost into the atoms. This is involution. That the real idea, the highest idea within the divine slowly goes through a series of changes, energy lapses, waves of consciousness, whatever we want to call it and it eventually becomes matter or gets involved into matter. Now when it is involved into matter, the thing is it is there but it's there in a form which is not accessible to us. By holding a chip in my hand I cannot know what was, what kind of talk it contains and why only the speech, the vibrations, the state of consciousness, everything is transmitted. It's not just um, uh, a speech but a state of consciousness of which the speech and thought are a vehicle. All that is now contained in a small little chip. I need to, if I need to recreate, I have to let this chip go through the similar process. I have to put it in a machine equipment which is suitable and it should be able to play it. It plays it and then I hear it and once again it's possible within me to get back to that idea from where the whole thing has come down. So this process of once again emergence of a consciousness which has gone into matter through series and steps is evolution. Now we stand at the crossroads of evolution where within man a whole number of worlds and energies express and converge. That's why one of the great profound truths which has been ever uttered is that within the pind, within the body, the whole Brahman, the cosmos exists. The whole cosmos exists within man. It's just not just a metaphor. It's so true. We see that minerals, we depend on minerals, we depend on rocks, we depend on chemicals. The whole world of chemistry and matter exists within us. And therefore we naturally partake something of the most material consciousness. It is the reason why we need matter to sustain this body. It is the reason why, uh, like matter, we have a tendency to fall into torpor, inertia, and why inertia can endure like anything. This is because something of the matter is there within us. Though uh, very often because glued to these senses we believe matter is all and material reality is everything. But as modern science, modern physics and psychology is beginning to discover that well matter is not the sole reality and it doesn't need much to understand it. Every day in dream, we enter into another kind of existence, another mode of being, another way of living. And to the dream world, that is very real. In the dream, we don't really recollect always our physical reality. In the dream, we live that reality. So what if we live for a short while? The time-space continuum is very different. In dream, we may spend hours within minutes because it's a different time-space domain in which we move. Or it may be minutes and it may be as if we have spent hours. So it's another kind of reality in which we exist. We exist sometimes in 
one kind of body sometimes in a formless state we know we are there but we don't really see us uh, ourselves as an you know as a physical body uh, sometimes we can fly all kinds of things become possible in a dream reality because it's another kind of existence so psychologically and even in physics we are beginning to uh, understand that there are many layers and levels of existence and matter is not the sole reality but matter is no doubt a large chunk it is the base and therefore everything on earth for its evolution tends to depend on matter if i have to play a chip i need to have a correct material instrument so if the instrument is not right even though the divine consciousness is inside me uh, it's a, you know to spiritual experience this is a well known fact and those who even have some kind of a faith they can see with the eye of faith that within us there is the divine who is dwelling but naturally the question is if the divine is dwelling inside why don't i see him this is a very natural question which many people ask well precisely for the same reason that within a chip the whole data entire works of shubhendra and the mother can be in a 2gb card i don't see it i don't see it because my instrument and equipment is not ready uh, i need a right instrument and equipment to transduce to change that into the right form with which i can receive it so through the whole evolutionary process the aim is that matter should be able to manifest that which is already involved within it it is there it is there in the atom there is beautiful lines in savitri he sleeps in the atom and he shines in the stars he smiles in the flowers everywhere but well that rapture which is everywhere we can get hints of it suggestions of it but we cannot experience him in its totality and his entirety so step by step it reveals itself till it reaches in man where for the first time there is the possibility of an instrument through which the divine can shine through the form through which we can have a conscious experience of divinity and that's something very very great because instrument has been evolved by nature to reach a point where we can experience the divinity which is hidden inside everything but obviously if the instrument was perfect it would have been very easy then we don't need i mean it's like just put uh, chip and play button but this instrument is still evolving this is another very interesting uh, contribution of shirbindo's uh, vision and experience yogic knowledge that we are still evolving as an instrumental nature we still cannot completely express the divine we are we get hints we are capable of getting hints we are capable of a conscious aspiration we are capable of seeking and finding getting great glimpses but through great effort this instrumental personality is not yet ready to completely express the divine and um, i take this example if you go to nasa and you see the first uh, computer which with which uh, the apollo was sent to moon oh it's a whole room filled with all kinds of machine they look like boilers or whatever else i mean big boxes and huge things and uh, what is it it's the computer what was it used for to send for the lunar mission now all that data can come on a small little laptop so at this point of time our situation is much like that early um early experiments so many early experiments have been made by nature to reveal the divine 
which is contained inside the form but they require a lot of effort lot of effort it's not easy it's not like one gets an easy technique and sits in meditation and gets some experience and one says hallelujah it's not like that at all it's it's a, it's a long long journey lot of patience is needed we don't naturally breathe the divine consciousness whereas it should be our natural state so of course there are people who believe that because we cannot naturally breathe the divine consciousness therefore it doesn't exist but there are others who say well it if i feel that there is something like the divine if i have this faith and i yet cannot do it naturally it means there is a journey that i need to undertake and that journey is yoga and this journey is through a whole maze of world forces those which help us broadly categorizing and those which hinder us in our upward journey there are uh, you know it's man is a very interesting meeting point on one side his feet are as if always in fetters which call him behind drag him to the past because the uh, not only matter but animal life the plant life its obscurity its unconsciousness dwells within us we are neck deep as the mother says in animality and yet there is something in us which is a candidate of divinity and that's the part we have to focus upon because if we really uh, look at you know there are very interesting lines in savitri just the mere inertia the gravitation pulls us down there are many things in us which are more accustomed to the animal state uh, take for instance this preoccupation with food human beings are you know probably more preoccupied with food than animals are animals feel hungry and they eat <laughs> but we have turned food into a industry you know there is a very nice uh, interesting line the other day i was reading from savitri i mean everything is so interesting um, that human beings have devised gigantic um means which are amazing but for what for dwarf needs i mean gigantic machinery everything is super super beautiful i mean walk into a store in new jersey everything which you can imagine under the sun but only to cater to dwarf needs physical needs material needs uh, but there are deeper needs for long man cannot be satisfied with these things so there is a need there is an urge there is an evolutionary pressure that wants us to burst forth and that is the other part which acts upon us the future it's not just the past that is acting upon us but also the future and the future is trying to pull us draw us and it's doing everything to pull us out of our state of inertia sometimes through events which seem catastrophic events which may appear to our eyes you know absolutely um they change our world turn it upside down that why this happened if there is god why should we go through all this pain and suffering is there really a law which governs this world and then you understand that yes there is very much a law this governs this that governs this world and it has only one business and one purpose it is to help us evolve come out of this condition in which we are sunk so this part we know very well there is a whole past which is our background and we have a tendency to fall back into that and the term technical term used um, in yoga is subconscious we don't quite know it but it's like all the things that have gone into our evolutionary journey are thrown into that you know it's like you, you build a house and there are a lot of things you don't know immediately what to do so you have a storeroom and you throw into it because you don't know when you will need it but when you actually need it so hard to find it because it's all in a pellmel 
सो सबकॉन्शियस इज दैट पार्ट ऑफ अर टोटैलिटी ऑफ अर बींग वेर इन नंबर ऑफ स्टेट्स ऑफ कॉन्शियसनेस दैट वी हैव एक्सपीरियंस्ड दे लाई देयर समर्स्ड दे आर फ्रैगमेंट्स रेसिड्यूज थ्रू विच वी हैव ब्रोकन आउट इन टू द फ्यूचर बट दे आर देयर दे आर लाइक नॉट्स एंड एट एनी टाइम दे मे कम अप टू बी रिजॉल्व इट इज वन ऑफ द क्रूशियल मूवमेंट्स ऑफ योगा वन मे हैव वेरी ब्यूटिफुल इनर एक्सपीरियंसिस वेरी हाई योगा इज नॉट अबाउट हैविंग दीज एक्सपीरियंसिस वेरी बिग मिस नोमर दैट यू नो हैविंग ए वेरी ब्यूटिफुल एक्सपीरियंस इन अ मेडिटेशन दैट्स जस्ट ए ग्लिम्स इट्स नॉट रियली द ट्रू योगिक लाइफ ट्रू योगिक लाइफ बिगिन्स वेन आवर वेकिंग कॉन्शियसनेस that experience extends into it in everything that we do in everything that we speak there's a very nice line of kabir which uh, i'm reminded of um which really shows the difference between what really religious uh, and quasi spiritual life is and the true yogic life so he was probably asked you know what is vedas and what is uh, pilgrimage and he had a very nice um, little couplet to it He says, "Jo bolu, so I'll say in Hindi, then <laughs> translate into English. Jo bolu, so Ved kahava. Jaha pag dharu, so tirath. Whatever I speak is a Veda. It's not that Veda is a book which has been written and finished. And wherever I step is a tirath. Why? Because I am conscious of the divine presence there. And then he says, it makes a very uh, beautiful observation. Sadhu sahaj samadhi bhali." it's not something where you have to sit and go deep inside when mother was asked that um, there are people who can meditate for hours so she says the number of hours you can meditate is not a sign of uh, spiritual progress the sign of spiritual progress is when it's difficult for you to come out of a state of meditation not a meditation where you close your eyes and withdraw yourself but because you are so much living in that state it's so difficult to come out on the surface consciousness but it is also a fact that men as we are now we live projected on the surface and by being projected on the surface we get subject to all the determinisms on the surface this is the practical side of yogic knowledge yogic knowledge very often you know spiritual people when they talk about fate it is fated it's a paradox because truly speaking if one is really living in a spiritual consciousness then one has the power to change fate this is one of the things that yogic knowledge brings to us whole savitri is about that lot of indian thought is about changing fate how we can change fate through a process of increasing world mastery but it cannot be done so easily we have to understand this entire play as of now we live projected on the surface and so we are under the you know uh, all kinds of determinisms the mother gives a very practical and interesting example she says that supposing in fact two a number of examples i'll take up two of them she says supposing you are going in a car these are not exact words but this what she says that you know you are going in a car and you see suddenly that there is a uh, almost an inevitable accident very close suddenly you see a truck or a big lorry come in front of the car so what is our tendency ha so what happens we are already on surface we come more on the surface and she says even if you are a person who is very religious has gone to temple every day and prays he may still be hit by it and gone because at that point of time 
by this act of projecting oneself on the surface one allowed the surface determinism to act it's like i put myself unwittingly in a place which is full of snakes or you know um a den of uh, underworld criminals and i suddenly expect an intervention it may take place but very often i have actually allowed that determinism to act upon me whereas there can be a totally opposite response when in the face of that one just steps back and calls for the divine intervention just one moment that one fraction of moment and she says during that moment your destiny can change it can change at that very moment that there was an accident to take place suddenly something happens and either the car swerves in another way or the truck swerves in another way there is a sudden uh, break or even if there is a hit you escape with a minor injury so we can you know our being extends horizontally in front or in the depths and we can learn to see what happens when we are on the surface take another example of any illness and uh, you know uh, today we were having discussion about all kinds of allergies and you know there is a fear when the moment there is an illness oh my god now uh, you know though we are calling god we are actually subjecting ourselves to uh, <laughs> to the very opposite oh my god you know basically it implies i am terribly afraid now if really we say oh my god there is no question of being fear we should say oh my god it's fine you know it's okay but we project ourselves and therefore the the forces of illness which are already there active they have their field day because you know we have out of fear out of anxiety out of restlessness we are projected on the surface it is one of the signs of being in the surface consciousness or what in the yogic parlance is also called as the ordinary consciousness that we are all the time full of anxiety full of fears full of restlessness and this restlessness takes many forms sometimes you know look at two people who are sitting quietly so discomforting because we are restless we must talk something we must you know <laughs> discuss something it's not really necessary but we must pick up a book we must read something we must do something we don't even realize that the monkey is active in us only he is active in the brain and <laughs> uh, whereas we need to make the opposite movement the deeper we go we enter into zones of quietude and peace this this is a very simple experience which all of us have i am sure most of us would have would have had here that the more we come to the surface the more restless we become and the deeper we go inside the quieter as it's as if there are two different zones and then we learn to shift the consciousness now the moment we see that we are becoming restless we know that i am actually subjecting myself to a very blind mechanical determinism to a kind of play which is really not good for me uh, let alone my spiritual goal even for my everyday life i need to take the opposite stance say if i have a heart attack so what is the first aid 911 and then the you know the i don't know here but uh, it hoots so badly uh, in india i feel oh my god this siren is going to kill people <laughs> oh and you know you really feel that oh my god you are going to die whereas uh, they can be a totally different approach its yogic knowledge brings mastery over everyday life so yes you need to call a doctor that's fine but at the same time the first stage is the inner aid we try to extend ourselves inside and then we see the how how things take shape even the circumstances will begin to converge because all the world forces will begin to conspire 
depending on our station of consciousness the world begins to recreate itself the mother says depending upon your state of consciousness you subject yourself to one kind of determinisms or another so we can extend ourselves horizontally in front like we are projected on the surface the moment we wake up we are all the time projected on the surface or we can begin to go deeper and deeper and then we have many interesting discoveries to make for instance one of the first things when we go little deeper then we discover what in the yogic parlance shubhendra has termed as the subliminal being there is behind this surface being a deeper being a deeper kind of a inner mind inner vital inner physical and they have a very different mode of working and action than the surface so for instance the inner mind can open itself to universal states i think it still picks up so the inner mind can you know have a much direct access to knowledge to even information than the external mind external mind has to pick up bits of information through this and that and try to find uh, some kind of an understanding but the inner mind can directly open it can even open to thoughts of others it can open to what's going on in people it's amazing and sometimes frightening that you know if we enter even little into the realm of the inner mind we can begin to become aware of what's going on and what's even sometimes going to happen because the inner mind has reaches beyond the immediate things similarly there is an inner vital so strong so luminous so healthy so full of joy but the outer vital it always needs something to be happy if it doesn't get something it is always miserable it's complaining it's grumpy it, it loves to you know always be depressed but the inner vital is very different it's free of desires it loves to give it is strong it's like a warrior who knows its own immortality similarly the inner physical there is an inner physical which can impress itself upon the outer and completely change even the physical determinism i mean there are instances which are very interesting interest instances uh, for instance in the field of medicine i was reading this book by dr entrewil there are many others which have come out now that in case of cancers now spontaneous remissions are known even it is known that the same illness can take a totally different course you can completely get rid of something which i mean i have seen with my own uh, in my own experience how some people by taking an exceptional attitude exceptional stance can get rid of even things in the body which appeared like just not possible that it's just not possible to get rid of them simply because one took one step behind entered into the inner physical and it has the right knowledge it can impress upon the outer physical the true pattern after all health and disease is a question of pattern if you look at it from an energy perspective the original replica is in the inner physical but in the outer physical the pattern changes so how do you tune you get inside and it spontaneously begins to tune and set the pattern right so a lot of remedies work like that and it's a whole science which can be explored and still deeper one can go and touch something very very fundamental a core in a sense and if one touches that one becomes so largely free and independent of the circumstances of life of situations of events of people because one touches a core which is so essential fundamental to our nature extends into all one spontaneously becomes aware of a divine presence which supports and holds us because that part is 
what is called in the spiritual parlance as a little child, as an ansha, as a portion of the divine consciousness. We cannot know the divine by agitating the mind. Sri Ramakrishna had a very nice uh, simile. He said, if you, uh, you know, mathni for water, if you constantly stir water, you won't get makhan out of it. You know, it's idle to believe that. But if we go deep inside us, we touch that part of our consciousness and that part spontaneously knows the divine. It doesn't know it through logic. It's not like, I want a proof, I want it this way. Oh, if there is divine, why did it happen like this? This part will reveal to us why things happened the way it happened. It sees the divine hand in everything. And when we begin to live in that part, spontaneously it spreads. It's like a substance which spreads into our outer being. And as the mother says, its effects are... Um, the term used by Sri is the psychic being, the evolutionary principle inside us, the evolutionary soul. It gives spontaneously to the mind wideness and understanding, to the vital generosity and faith, to the physical health and well-being, spontaneously, just by the very fact that we have touched this deepest core. That's one of the reasons why every night when we sleep, we go deep inside through this range of worlds which we recall as dreams and we touch this bedrock and the action of this little touch is twofold. One, we wake up fresh. Second, there is a catharsis of all that is toxic in the body. Even physically, when we get up in the body, it's strange. Actually, ideally, there should be more of mile and waste uh, in the daytime. But when we wake up in the morning, the whole body is as if in a elimination mode. It wants to throw out all that is no more necessary. It's a process. So every night by merely touching that bedrock there's a very interesting phrase in one of the Upanishads because very often people struggle with their difficulties and they say oh I cannot get rid of this, I cannot get rid of this and they try it with the mind and they fail. But the right way is to touch this core. If we touch this core many things fall off. There's a very nice phrase in the Svetashwatar Upanishad, the sloka Antaha sharire jyotir mayo hishubro yam pashyanti ritahe shini dusha. By mere having a vision of that, many things just fall off, drop off. They are no more needed. Just as at night we sleep, we come in touch with that deep core and all that needs to be eliminated, the body automatically in the morning eliminates it because that's its effect. But we need to, of course, discover it. And to discover it, we need to understand that there are forces which nurture and nourish it and there are forces which thwart it. There are forces that act like Putna, you know the story of Krishna, where when he is in the baby, Krishna's story is the story of the psychic being. There are a number of forces which come to destroy and to kill him. So also in our real life, there are a number of Putnas. There was only one Putna for Krishna who was giving him the poison of doubt. But there are a number of putnas which, you know, surround our life, which come to constantly um, kill, slay. Shobindo used the word slay the divine child while it is being nurtured inside. And we don't even realize that how toxic these effects are. We just think it's okay. It's fine to indulge into all kinds of discussions, debates, arguments, entertain doubts, entertain all kinds of fears. And yet we want somehow the divine to act. But we have done nothing to really nurture this little baby inside which needs not formula feed but the authentic cow milk, the milk of the divine consciousness. 
But if we feed it, there are forces which nurture it, help it to grow. And if we really feed it by coming in touch with these forces, then we really spontaneously grow into that, uh, towards that divinity. So the forces which hold us back, which tie us down, which constantly fill us with all kinds of fumes, sometimes these fumes come as perfumes. But they are actually very toxic fumes. They are not good for the spiritual development. And they are the forces which in yogic parlance are called as, they belong to the dark side. They had their role in evolution. But they are poison to the evolving soul. And there are many of them. And they come and, um, uh, and this is an experiment we all can make about this play of forces. There are a number of activities which leave us totally exhausted. Try meditating after anger. See what happens. It's just not possible. It agitates us. It as if, you know, takes the juice out of life. We have as if in the, those few moments sucked away all our energies. Now, how harmful it is, forget about others, for our own self. And imagine a situation where we are constantly living in a state of inner anger. So what happens? Even activities which may appear very pleasant, very exciting, very titillating to the nerves. Now, we, we can really make this observation and we can become conscious that certain activities, though they appear very pleasant, immediately, very exciting, but they leave us absolutely exhausted and we sink into a state of dullness. And equally, there are activities, there are music, there are uh, you know people, there are places which help us to evolve, to grow. And we can make our own observation. We don't have to make any, uh, you know, read a book of moral science or know it this way, that way. And to each one, depending on the stage of evolution, there are forces which have helped in the evolution, they become a bar. This is another very interesting thing. For instance, intellectual activity can be a help at a point of time when we need to, you know, the mind, develop the mind as an instrument. So it's very good to read books. It's very good to, you know, get all kinds of information from different sources to feed the mind about, uh, uh, let's say, even what yoga is, what this world is, very good. But there comes a time when this intellectual activity becomes a big hindrance, precisely because it um, cuts off the true reality into many bits and bits, uh, parts which are fragmented. It gives us the information but takes away the truth out of it. So there is a need to make the mind more and more quiet. Desire is very important for people who are completely in inertia. You need desire and ambition to make them move. A person who is leading a very tamasic life, who is subject to forces of inertia, if uh, they should never join a yoga ashram. Because they will be miserable, they will make everybody miserable. And uh, in all likelihood, they will mistake meditation for good sleep. Because that is the only thing that we know in Tamas. You know, that uh, story, uh, it's a real story, by the way, that, you know, people used to go for a uh, satsang session and one person would immediately close the eyes and go into um, great trance. And her friend would wonder that, I wish I could be like her. I don't understand anything what, uh, you know, what is going on there and my mind is so restless, I wish I could be like her. Uh, one day, the whole talk was over, meditation was over and this lady was continued to be in trance. So now her friend was getting restless because the car keys is with her. 
<laughs> so eventually, you know, she nudged her that, look, I mean, uh, would you please come down from this? <laughs> so she said, she got a little flustered, said, saw everybody gone away, said, why didn't you wake me up earlier? <laughs> and, you know, she used to find it so boring that she would just go off to sleep. So, you know, when one is in that state of inertia, ambition, desires, they are necessary to, um, that agitation is necessary to pull matter out of its inertia. That's why these uh, layers through which we have to evolve, it's part of our evolutionary journey. If we cannot grapple the world forces, then we cannot grapple the much more serious uh, difficulties of yogic life. So they come to stimulate us. But a time comes when these desires become a big bar. We have to learn to quieten. And not only we have to learn to quieten the big desires, but the smallest things which are coming, troubling us, we have to pluck them out. As Shurabindu says, he tore desire up from its bleeding roots and offered to the gods the vacant place. So in this evolutionary journey, many kinds of forces converge. And when we become conscious, then we can make a study. We don't need a book because the book is here the book of life and everything is there the veda is here the guide is here and we can make a study that there are activities which help nurture and nourish our deeper parts and there are activities which totally veil it so very often people ask divine kya kar raha hai sansar mein wo dekho this man does that and yet he continues to prosper and succeed so you know it's one of those common questions based on appearances well, for the divine, the rewards and if we may use the word punishment because there is no punishment in his scheme of things, is instantaneous. He gives instantaneous wages. And what is that instantaneous wage? Any activity which is done with selfishness, with a state of narrowness, instantly veils one more veil between our outer being and the divine presence. So what happens? We have the object and we lose the happiness. It's a very interesting study we can make. That the more we try to hold the object with a tighter grip, the more we lose the joy we want to derive from it. It's a very common experience, which I think doesn't need any deep philosophy, but just a little observation into our being. That a lot of happiness comes because we are uh, unhappiness comes because we are trying to hold on to things as if they are ours, ours, ours. And the more we try to do it, it slips because it forms a veil between me and the divine. Only through this I can get happiness. So divine says, fine, try it your way. <laughs> so do it because we have to learn by experience. I mean, it has its own utility. We have to ultimately learn through many things. But the other is when we set free, then we have not set another person free. This is very interesting. We don't really realize it. When we set a person free, we set ourselves free. We don't set another person free. We are setting ourselves free. Because basically at that point, uh, I take away one more veil. Every time we do an act which is unselfish, we don't have to wait for a reward in another life of getting some uh, good Mercedes Benz car as if the divine values these things. Uh, <laughs> so instantly there is a delight which comes out. Instantly there is a peace. The peace that comes from non-possession the peace that comes from detachment. And instantly we experience that peace and joy because it's there in the deeper recesses of our being. We don't have to really do anything special. Just touch that zone. And the moment we touch it, peace, joy, everything becomes natural. And we wonder why we were suffering. Very often it's known 
um, that you know when there is an impulse which comes. Now, if we get caught into it, it may be just any wave of emotion, and we flow with it. Oh, we are carried into abysmal depths, and there is no end to these depths of misery. But the other is when there is a wave which comes, we just wait and let the wave pass. After a while, we wonder why, we are, why at that point of time, I was really so agitated about it. There is nothing to feel agitated about it. This is another discovery we can make. So there is a whole range of states of consciousness and we can try to touch them and get a feel of what it means. And just as these are states of consciousness, there are whole ranges of consciousness and we can ascend and have many beautiful discoveries to make. Things that, you know, for instance, uh, we keep giving advice to people, think positively. So, you know, it's the common advice and the most miserable advice. Why? Because it's so easy to tell anyone, think positively. And then the next question is, how? And we don't know how. We just say, no, no, think positively, it will help you. I, we all know it. You don't need to, you know, Dale Carnegie says so. You don't need a yogi to tell you so. <laughs> think positively. But that's because if we are caught up in a certain zone of consciousness, which is small and narrow, we cannot think positively in that state. Shift the consciousness and the rest will follow. So the trick and the art lies in learning to shift the zone of consciousness. And we can actually locate it, even for instance, experiences of certain emotions, fears, anxieties, where are they located? And very interestingly, they even converge upon the physical. Lot of, if we look at the human body, it's actually a symbol. And depending upon the state of consciousness, the parts of the body can get affected. Even a whole range of illnesses can be understood. For instance, there is a fundamental sutra about illness that desire irritates the organs and makes us fall sick. Now, how does it work? Because normally the whole body uh, is exposed to all the different ranges of consciousness. For instance, above the mind, above the head is, uh, if we take the tantric view of things, is the sahasrar. At this level of the mind, the Agya Chakra. And these are like energy knots which connect us to the universal. And then we have the externalizing mind, the Vishuddha Chakra. Then we have the uh, Hritpradam, the Heart Chakra. And we have below. And each of these chakras actually lets forth certain kinds of forces into the play. So there is a balance flow of the energy through the body. And it's arranged in a very hierarchical way. What energies should not be given prominence are below. Hierarchically, they represent a past stage of evolution. But imagine what happens when a past stage of evolution is made uh, the present or the future. For instance, preoccupation with food. That means something we should be here is actually here. So what happens? There is an imbalance. Or certain activities which should be very low down on the scale, which are simply meant to feed matter. And we are occupied with those activities. And again, because it disturbs the balance, the flow of energy into the system, and the body symbolically represents all these forces which are at play at given, any given time, it tends to create an imbalance and we fall sick. So this is a whole world to be understood. Hierarchically our being is arranged vertically as well as it extends horizontally.
Horizontally, it is not just surface and deeper. There is a consciousness which we all carry around us, which is called as the environmental consciousness, our own atmosphere. So there are some people in whose atmosphere we feel very happy naturally. We don't know why. They they give. They are givers, spontaneous givers. And if we go into their atmosphere, we feel happy. We come back refreshed. But there are people. Not all are bosses. I mean, there are all kinds of people. If we go and meet them, we come back. Oh my God. Whom did आज क्या दिन था जो इसको देखना मिल गया? It's true because the atmosphere people carry. Some people carry whole heaviness in the head, as if the whole world's burden is on their head. I mean, divine is enough to carry that burden, <laughs> as if you know. And their mind is all the time calculating: if I do this, that will happen; if I don't do this, that will happen. As if you know, the bhagya vidhata is walking. and is full of anxiety is full of anxiety if you enter into their range they will transmit that anxiety you were full of trust and you go and spend 10 minutes with such a person and you come back with all kinds of doubts oh my god i never thought it like this this may be a problem that may be a problem because they carry an environmental consciousness which is contains that atmosphere and it acts like a contagion so yogic knowledge tells us to be very careful of what kind of people with whom we are interacting it's something like a subtle interchange and lot of things we can lose in one moment through such interchange that's why the you know swai satsang is advocated precisely so that we can all grow into that beautiful atmosphere of course there is a way that when we meet sometimes uh, people who may be carry a, carry a very different atmosphere we can learn to pass on beautiful things to them we can learn to help them come out of that atmosphere but that requires not only a yogic and occult knowledge but an inner capacity to do that it comes when we look at the beautiful side of people show them the beautiful side so they suddenly come out they are accustomed to breathing that atmosphere of sadness or misery and then they suddenly for a moment are projected into another life and they discover that well i could just as well breathe that atmosphere i don't have to be miserable so we can do that we can also shield ourselves so all kinds of things we can do with regard to environmental consciousness we can also discover that not only human beings objects have their consciousness it's a very interesting study that there are places there are rooms there are houses there are objects and they exude their consciousness and the ancient science occult science had gone to this extent that even natural landscapes they have their own consciousness and with which we can connect pradyodya in the ashram he was working on this famous dam on uh, ganga river and so they were trying to build and it just won't work out so he asked the mother prayed for her help so mother said have you prayed to the river ganges and it was like a revelation to him he thought it just a river like people thought that himalaya is just a mountain and uh, mandakini is just a you know mechanical river flowing down but when they prayed when he prayed then it really uh, next when they built this is a documented story and pradyodha was a very senior uh, engineer in fact he was the in charge of that project he wanted to come to ashram but the government didn't send him because they wanted him to work on that project similarly when park guest house was being built same way the sea would not give but sometime we force and take it and then it reacts back because it doesn't like we have to pray it belongs to that so one could connect with the environing consciousness atmosphere of 
many objects which we normally call as pure material objects and we have a whole story to unfold so there is an environing consciousness and all of us develop our own environing consciousness i don't know whether uh, i'm sure all of you would have had an experience but i had a very horrible experience once of what a political person's consciousness can be and uh, you know post upahar tragedy i was you know some of my cousins they were in aims and uh, after that carbon monoxide poisoning and um, i was just waiting to enter uh, they suddenly said that some politician i won't name uh, not for obvious reasons one doesn't care but names are not important actually and you know she is going to come and uh, so for a moment uh, i was caught in that kind of strange situation that i can't go in i can't move out so as this politician passed of that whole atmosphere of vital 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 which is greedy which is wants to suck 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 it was uh, you know so much full of falsehood it's like uh, a whole uh, truck load of mud has been thrown around you and it took a while to settle down i was going to go inside with a very beautiful you know inner contact to talk to my cousins who were coming out of you know all this but i said i should better wait and once again recollect that state of consciousness because people carry that atmosphere and we don't realize and in yogic life one has to be very very careful similarly our consciousness it extends and as we grow uh, go beyond the mind ranges we begin to discover new modes of functioning for instance to know something normally we have to acquire all kinds of knowledge from outside but as we grow higher and higher we begin to discover that another way of revealing things begins to uh, show itself and starts using this instrumental personality uh, before us we begin to discover it many things even um, say if you have to take a writing and you want to see where uh, a mistake lies so normally you go through the whole process you know read meticulously but it can actually that consciousness can take you to just that spot where there is an error and it takes you precisely where the points are which need to be corrected of course one should always cross check unless a consciousness is perfected inside one but it's very amazing that the whole way of working begins to change so shirbindo says that just as there are ranges of consciousness below what was called in indian thought as patal which are hellish devilish because if we fall into those states they are dark they are like fallen states of consciousness we enter into an animal state more and more unconscious so that's if at all uh, you know we use the word punishment it's not really punishment but natural consequence of indulging in actions which are very selfish and cruel we don't need any other punishment god has an instant way of uh, you know well it, it there is a prison of our own making if we are cruel then we automatically fall into states of consciousness where we get cut off from the delight we more and more um, become restless and we want more and more an external stimulus to make us happy that's why one of the signs that one is falling more and more below is that one starts rushing to all kinds of parties clubs uh, drinks drugs strong stimulus because one needs them to just feel alive whereas one of the signs that one is getting free is that one even the sense of pleasure begins to change into something very subtle a beautiful thought gives one joy a beautiful picture makes one feel happy inside a kind act from anyone fills one hearts with gratitude because the consciousness becoming more and more subtle 
so there are ranges which are below and there are many of them and there are ranges which are above so there is a vertical hierarchy of consciousness shubhendra has talked about it uh, above the mind there are regions more and more luminous regions higher mind illumined mind intuitive mind over mind and of course the supramental where alone is the authentic home of truth so supramental is that consciousness in which all is known but not as we falsely see it but in its truth this is one of the big questions that people ask that why couldn't god know it why doesn't god see it because he sees very differently there are lot of things which are true to our seeing but they are not true in the home of truth they don't exist because simply they are a whole chunk of falsehood or creations of falsehood which has come around us in which we are trapped in a formation there is a lady who told a very interesting experience when she was in jipmar uh, and uh, with all the drips and everything around her and she says when i came out of my coma she had suddenly saw the mother at her feet near her feet standing there and telling her what is all this falsehood so she didn't understand you know what is all this falsehood and then later on she re- understood that the divine does not go by oh that knowledge of the drip and knowledge of medicine it's not like that this whole creation in which we live as it were trapped is not necessarily a creation of truth it is a byline of evolution that has taken but in the super mind you have the knowledge of the truth and by that pressure of the truth you change things not necessarily by um, you know through a precise diagnosis that oh uh, we tell the divine i have got acute uh, you know sinusitis and please give me the right medicine <laughs> the divine need not act like that he we it's better that we tell him the symptoms because if we tell him i have acute sinusitis he is likely to get more confused if i may take the liberty <laughs> but if we tell him that look my nose feels heavy and my head is feeling heavy and you know i feel blocked here he is more likely to act much faster it's like homeopathic medicine because this whole terminology labeling and many things which are associated with fears anxieties they cloud the consciousness and impairs the contact of our consciousness with the divine it's always much better to express it in very simple terms because that knowledge which comes from the home of truth is a very different kind of knowledge and that knowledge sees the past the present the future in one single sweep so we have these whole ranges which we have to cover a whole past to be negotiated and through all this the evolutionary journey has to go on and we have to return back and once again look at our chains and work them out it's the the final decisive phase of this yoga is not having a beautiful experience inside but to get back and undo those little knots of the subconscious nature which are tying us because of the subconscious there is a tendency for things to recur again and again everything that we have thrown out of nature goes there and is sitting there and we think we have conquered something and it says oh is it you have conquered oh so good look here it is nice gift because it was there down below one movement of the ego and it comes up one movement i have conquered this all three movements and it says oh you have conquered this but sir here it is lying you have only forgotten about it it is also the reason subconscious why illness is recur because you know how often do we find that illnesses come out 
sometimes even fear can take other forms for instance oh i hope it's not this and you know it comes because it's right there any experience of life anything that we have seen heard touched smelt everything goes into that store it's a massive massive uh, part to be tackled with and uh, in ancient india of course that's that's why we use the word sanskar so that children right from childhood go through the experiences which do not fill their stuff their subconscious with everything that is uh, they'll find very difficult to tackle later on but nevertheless at some point in our yogic journey the more we become conscious of the higher ranges the more we become also conscious of the lower ranges it's a very interesting paradox the higher we climb the lower we also go it's a circular movement and uh, it's because we can tackle it better but initially we are not aware we are very nice people and everybody is bad <laughs> so that's very good neat world symmetrical world and god is unkind only with us with everybody he is kind with my neighbor with uh, everyone god is wonderful with me only he has picked me out <laughs> but as we begin to move further bura jo dekhan mein chala mujhsa bura na koi we begin to discover oh my god everything is inside us look at shurbindo's humility in one of his uh, aphorism he says that when i discovered jealousy within me i discovered that there is still in me the eternal fool and this is when he is entering from the intuitive mind to the supramental consciousness and mother was asked to comment on this she said well we call jealousy when it's very crude inside us but any point of self centeredness is the seed of jealousy because that becomes the reference point with which we see others and it can go into any extent spiritual people they enter into competition with one another cutting each other oh that person he is not a purna guru very simple now indirectly what is i am the one you know are jaane do jo jis raste se ja raha it's fine he is going to the divine in his own way spiritual field is not a field of ambition and competition but people bring competition and ambition there why because the subconscious is sitting at the back it's not been worked upon and a ultimate victory only comes when the more we rise up the more we tackle this part and the final demon that one has to tackle comes only when we are close to the ultimate victory the mother has very interestingly said that everybody carries within himself the total contradiction almost an absolute negation of the possibility that he is meant to realize so man who is extremely generous in one part of nature will be very very conjuice full of avarice in another part a person who is full of sympathy in one part of nature can be extremely cruel in another part almost insensitive very loving and kind person can be totally uh, you know egocentric in another part of his nature it's very interesting and she says it's good it is organized like that so that you don't have to tackle cosmic difficulties but your own individual difficulties and that part has to be tackled in its fullness only towards the end of the yogic journey if we try to tackle it in the beginning it will just completely disarray the whole process so first thing is to grow into light and so bits and chunks of the subconscious are revealed to us to be tackled step by step 
and then finally we discovered the last bedrock in the famous um, indian vedic story um, maybe we can close with that and then take question this is the story of vritrasur he is the last demon when indra has killed everybody then the last demon is vritrasur suddenly encircles the whole city and submerges it in water and he must kill this demon and this demon is not easy to be killed even for indra it's very difficult he needs a special kind of weapon which contains the entire tapasya of shiva and dadichi that's how you know a human instrument and a divine being they come together that's what dadichi's bones are combined with a tremendous sacrifice and then when he makes a weapon out of that then he can kill vritrasu because it's not easy to uh, kill that enemy it requires that kind of a purification and tapasya so there's the last bit the conquest over the subconscious and shubindu speaks about it which is the bedrock of resistance the reason why we cannot meditate so easily the reason why we cannot climb how how one wishes that one sits closes the eyes and next moment one is at the sahasrar <laughs> but it just isn't allowed because there's so many fetters but with each inch of advance it breaks off and the marvel that shurbindo further reveals that every little victory that we win over our own nature it extends into the world because essentially the world is nothing but an extension of the self it's a projection of the self so we also discovered this deeper interconnectedness so when we talk about parts and planes of our being there is an interconnectedness my mind is interconnected with every other mind and if i allow my mind to be filled with beautiful thoughts i am helping god's work in the world so very often when you know uh, for instance sitting in my clinic in uh, shurbindo ashram pondicherry uh, if someone comes in a you know difficult conditions uh, as a medical doctor so when you help the person to recover or become instrumental in that when you feel a person with hope actually you are doing divine work divine work is not just running around because you make it that much easier for god's work in the world and every time you are full of grumpiness you are actually increasing his burden we talk about doing divine work here is the divine work the moment we fill our heart with hope with love by an extension we help it will help others we don't have to go around and you know give talks and uh, you know be known it is not necessary at all quietly sitting in one room if we work upon our consciousness because there is an interconnectedness this environmental consciousness can extend in yogis so much so that it can include the whole world shubindu speaks about that experience the whole cosmos that's why keep on uh, saying that when people say shubindu was born at this date and he had left his body at that date so once someone asked me about shurbindo so i asked him that which shurbindo you want to know of don't ask me about that shurbindo was born on 15th august and left his body on 5th december because shurbindo is not an incidence in the universe the universe is an incidence in shurbindo so this is the whole way the whole yogic vision changes because we can enter into a boundless state of consciousness where the sorrow of the whole world becomes our sorrow and the good of that is within us extends itself into the world and because of this knowledge 
one of the simplest ways of helping the world as buddha has said and the mother confirms it that every day the minimum we can do is we can simply say i send a thought of love in this direction i send a thought of peace in this direction in all the directions and we help the world to grow so beautifully in fact the mother gives so many other exercises like that and in our indian tradition we had this instead of asking god please do this good to me what did we pray sarve sukhina bhavantu sarve santu niramaya may all be happy obviously i am part of that we don't have to say this may all be free of diseases i am part of that and it makes us so vast the sense of interconnectedness because uh, when we begin to you know detach ourselves from the surface consciousness in which we are trapped then we discover that the the serene whole then we discover that everything is inside us every being is our own being wearing a different mask a different body a different face all are krishna only assuming different forms two little lines with which we will end one is uh, one of the bhajans and uh, there is a line in it which i just love very much amar ek ek krishna mon bhare na ami anant krishna dube chai i am not happy with just one krishna i want infinite krishnas and want to drown myself in that and another of shirbindo the one self very ends by saying that um, my rivals downfall is my own disgrace i look at my enemy and see krishna's face how beautiful that state of consciousness will can be so we'll just um, stop here and uh, let's have questions rather than you know, it should be lot more yes please i have two questions first is uh, you wrote about two years back when there was a storm in pondicherry that mother kali is giving us a warning now the disaster never happened in the whole history of india about uttarakhand is mother kali saying again something that is my first question and second question is there is a thousands and thousands of people people went to chadam yatra to see the god to pray the god and is the god you have this why they kick all people out okay so this is good one uh, well let me take that um so uh, <laughs> it's it's a brilliant very natural question because of the uh, you know so called tragedy now first of all we call it a tragedy i at a material level well uh, we have reasons to say that it's a tragedy but look at the irony of things by the way i have just written an article just finished on this uttarakhand issue which i'll be sending to mother india whatever i experienced i went there just after 10 days Uh, to nanital for the camp uh, and experience the atmosphere though nanital was not touched um, you see it's a irony irony of human consciousness we go to shiva to get moksha we believe that shiva is a living deity we believe that ganges is moksha daini what greater fortune for a true devotee than to be die at the feet of shiva and sink in the bosom of the ganges so if truly speaking if we really really carry that heart of the devotee then there is no better fate i mean if i was a devotee of shiva for me uh, they are living deities i mean i have experienced ganges as a living goddess so uh, but that's not my goal for me she is a purifying mother but let's say if i really go to you know char dham 
I don't go to come back the same stupid human being. It's a moksha, and it is said in our scriptures. Let's quote the scriptures. You know, when Shiva kills someone, there is a very interesting episode in uh, uh, in uh, Shiva Puran which goes unnoticed uh, very often. Uh, Shiva was at one point going to kill Ravana, and he doesn't kill. So why? Because Vishnu Bhagwan says, "I have to kill him." Now, why he gives the reason that he is Jaya and Vijay, and I have to bring him back. Now, well, why all this drama? He could have simply said. forget about i may have killed but shiva you can kill the difference is because when shiva kills it's a moksha and jayavije did not ask for that jayavije wanted to go back to the service of the lord but when vishnu does he does preserves the whole order of the world and you go to vaikuntha so you are part of the cosmos but you assume a station of consciousness which is higher now look at the deep profound occult knowledge whenever shiva destroyed any asura it was moksha let alone a devotee with a heart given to him the tragedy is for those who are left behind now for those who are left behind why do we suffer from tragedy whether this or that one it's precisely because we are attached to things which by their nature we all know see death strikes us whether in char dham or anywhere but we kind of you know suffer because we are extremely attached to people and things and naturally that's our human state nothing wrong with that it's natural and all of us are not doing yoga even for yogi it takes years so the suffering comes not because of shiva's wrath but simply because of our imperfection third level see as human beings we may be very religious people and everything but so long as we belong to the ordinary nature in our ordinary consciousness we remain subject to the ordinary determinism now what is the ordinary determinism of nature how does it act it does not i mean unless there is an exceptional human being who is very evolved inside nature acts only to adjust its own balance and in that balance of creation men animals plant everything is included together in a composite whole so when suddenly nature strikes back not because of wrath of kali or Uh, rudra that obviously not because these were um, devotees apparently religious people not because of that but because we had massacred the balance of the nature in the mountains and because we had uh, you know destroyed the balance of the mountains the mountain just like a wound heals how does a wound heal so mountain has to heal itself so land slides are precisely a kind of falling off of the scars which we created as a human race and when nature takes that step of readjusting the balance then it's like you know 10000 human beings are nothing it because its movements are on a much vaster scale and human beings at that point are like ants um, yet even in that midst of all that nature will always pause even kali will pause when there is a true lord of the shiva in whom shiva signs she will pause she will take another recourse so in these all these stories you will also see survivor tales which are amazing how you know people survive because something in their consciousness nature even in its fury blind fury not fury fury the way we call it but actually in its compassion to readjust the balance it saw that well this being uh, he his has to be set aside sometimes it throws the person aside when guru nanak was asked this question uh, you know he was uh, held captive by once by the mughal king and put into the prison and banda uh, saheb uh, asim that why you have to suffer you are a man of god 
and you are a genuine person i know it you remember him all the time you keep uh, uh, you know it said that at a young age when he was put in the shop uh, his father realized is good not good for that why because anybody who came he kept saying tera 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 kept giving <laughs> he said in shop you have to learn mera 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 you know, he can't keep saying tera 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 so you know that person why you had to have the whips and you are you know in the prison so guru nanak says you know banda sahib at this point it's too late we are all tired we'll talk about it tomorrow he says fine so whole night he couldn't sleep he's tossing and turning so when he gets up he says sir please tell me the answer he says the answer is below you he says what he says do you know how many ants you killed when you slept on the floor he says uh, no he looked below and there are number of ants he says nature and god are much vaster in their movement we think we are filled with a sense of self importance if tomorrow millions of fishes die we we don't even think there is any tragedy but for nature there is a disturbance of balance nature will reabsorb that consciousness and because it has to readjust the balance there is an earthquake and a tsunami and the balance is readjusted not karmic balance i'm not talking of that not that god is punishing people but because it's a natural balance and those who are caught up in the ordinary consciousness will be caught up in that flow of nature and it's just uh, you know we may call it tragedy or we may call it but nature doesn't regard it like that fourth from the point of view of the divine consciousness we think divine is other i am other this is other but for divine we are all extensions of him when he destroys one form he brings out another there is nothing which is ever destroyed so from that standpoint nothing really is tragic human beings experience tragedy for a moment because we live in a very ignorant and a small consciousness but the beauty of the divine is that even in that state if you are open to him he turns that tragedy into a means of our evolution so he allows many things which even at this point we may suffer it's like when a child suddenly a toy snatched there is an aphorism of shirobindo that um, um a mother cried because god took away her child into his bosom and look at the paradox mother cried why because god took away the child into his bosom now if we have that vision we will not cry but we lack that vision so we cry the sense of tragedy with death is our ignorance but divine doesn't live in the same ignorance for him breaking of a form is breaking of his own form so i would not say it was kali but chinnamasta she is destroying her own body and she is destroying her own body so that a new body can come sati gives herself to fire so that parvati can be born out of that you know tapasya so for the divine this is how the play goes on that consciousness is much too vast for our human littleness to comprehend and always when he does in the play of forces it's not that everything is very precise and orderly according to us but even the greatest catastrophes are used for an evolutionary leap now what could be the evolutionary leap in such a process two evolutionary leaps will take place immediate which i can say many others will take place we as indians we our religion has become simply a lip service it is what confined to the books we are very happy saying vasudev kutumbakam but we treat our neighbor with such absolute disrespect as if vasudev kutumbam applies only to me and my surname <laughs> and not to another similarly we keep saying dharti mata hai and look how we 
plunder her how we loot her how we disrespect her we say gau mata hai and earlier at least people pehla roti they used to give to the cow now gau is only mata <laughs> not even deserving as much as a roti so for us god has become enshrined only in a temple temple is only a symbol what is the point of journey to kedarnath if i cannot recreate the kedarnath inside me if i cannot ascend to that great vision of shiva that sublime majestic beautiful vision which enthralls us when we sit in tapasya that here is shiva so there was a very interesting uh, you know um aside to this story it was small little clipping when someone was asked aapka iske bare mein kya kehna you know people say all kinds of that bada tragedy hai ji ye dekha <laughs> one man you see he spoke a very profound truth he says humne to ye realize kiya hai ye sab char dham wagera jaane ka koi point nahi hai bhagwan andar hai andar realize karo now you know it needed a tragedy of this magnitude to discover it now people it's true they go to char dham but look what they had done look at what they did to mandakini to ganges she stifling and crying and naturally once in a while ganges is a right to complain that look i mean please don't do this to me so i look at it also first as a caution second symbolically it's not only the charha many religious institutions world over they are breaking down because the age of religions is getting over because we have to ascend now graduate to the next level we have to discover the inner tirath the inner amarnath the inner badrinath the inner devi so these things are symbol and unless we find them inside we will always remain i mean these symbols were necessary to preserve in the memory of a race a great truth but lest we forget that the real kedarnath and the pilgrimage is inside us therefore sometimes nature uh, it's breaking everywhere it's breaking uh, the age of religion is over so i suppose one has to look at it from that larger perspective so this event will also turn at a material level that we should learn to respect nature within the indian context definitely we have lost totally massacred nature i mean i feel so saddened to see what has been done to ganga and yamuna so well we asked it and at a spiritual level we have to learn that we may go to pilgrimage 10 times like haj yatra it is our own haj yatra but what 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 does it help if inside us instead of shiva we you know tarkasur and dhritrasur and all of them are dwelling inside so at spiritual level and material level this event is going to help us evolve so that we are less greedy and we begin to think more holistically so very positive event <laughs> despite <laughs> the momentary sense of tragedy yes and the momentary sense of tragedy is the price that all of us pay sometimes somebody else does and others have to pay because some pe- other people ignored the balance of nature and we kept quiet so some other generation has to pay because as shurbindo says from savitri men die so that man may live and god be born men die so that man may live and god be born so this जगत्यागत्यास 
So there, there are so many beautiful hints in our own scriptures because there has been, please sit sir, uh, because you know there has been such a profound exploration of uh, all the ranges of consciousness, like all these worlds we talked about, the lokas, the uh, various beings of each loka, for instance beings of Patala or the subconscious are described as headless beings very often. And one can often see them, or not often, it's good, one doesn't see them often. <laughs> one can actually see them as uh, headless uh, beings in in dream. And one knows one has met these beings of the Patala. Now you see it's so symbolically true that they are irrational. There is within us the irrational and the suprarational. And the line of reason divides these two. So many times we know that what is the right thing, but we are dictated by something totally irrational in our actual actions. Because the subconscious is there. So this whole study of Patal, the seven kinds of Patal through which one can sink. And each of them contains their own beings. And how even in Patal there is the presence of the divine. And it can also be surrendered to God by the right consciousness. The story of Prahlad. That Prahlad is a being who is a Datya by his Vansha. And yet you know, he uh, what, what boon is given to him by nursing avatar. He says, okay, you go and rule the kingdom of the Datyas in the Patal. But I'll be there always safeguarding your kingdom. So there is no place which is devoid of God and the divine consciousness can reach out everywhere. And eventually, a yoga of world conquest, you know, Swarat to Samrat, uh, would involve a mastery of all these many world forces and the influences which act upon us. And that's why I guess we have to become really conscious about all these various forces, energies, influences. And uh, then only we can offer them and call in the divine intervention so that the true mastery can come. By connecting each of these states of consciousness to the divine, by offering these energies and these influences to the divine, 
we allow the divine mastery to spread over these worlds and this is truly the meaning of true meaning of mother's victory in us the divine's victory is a victory of mother in each sadhak over each of these energies which are influencing us and that's why they are there they are given to us to change uh, if we read the mother's story of creation it's very interesting that right from the point of inception of creation each of us uh, carries a part of the divine and each of us carries a shadow and the two will go together neither will leave each other this is a very interesting divine arrangement precisely because why the shadow has come because it wants to change it is crying for change so every time these gentlemen come up and show up to us it's a signal that look i also want to change please offer me also to the divine but we play the role of denial we shut our eyes and say no no i don't have i am holy <laughs> at one place shrivinda says uh, mother says Uh, do not try to be among the holies it's not a good thing because you know it only puffs up the ego and <laughs> we sink deeper into the mud we have to acknowledge our own burden the shadow which has come and instead of feeling shame guilt and pain we have to see that oh this fellow has also come wants to be offered to the divine and we pick it up and say lord this too belongs to you this is the method she gave she was asked so what to do with these parts this patala which speaks within us the subconscious energies which come to us she is offer this too to the lord and say lord this too is you this too belongs to you and our role is to bring the divine uh, to make the divine connection between the higher worlds and the lower world this is the task of man so we are the meeting point of these two we have within us the whispers of the inconscient and we have within us the intimations from the superconscient and we have to connect that too and if we can do that we become the bridge and uh, the work is done but instead we want every other person subconscious to be cleaned but mera ghar jaisa kachra hai rehne do sadak saaf honi chahiye dusre ke ghar mein jaake oh what smell my own kitchen may be dirty but the other person's kitchen is always dirtier so this is how we you know unfortunately miss the opportunity but whenever we see dirt somewhere else it's a sign that the dirt is hidden inside we notice things which are inside us this is something very fascinating and the mother says the world is like a mirror and we see in others what is fundamentally in some part inside us people who keep seeing greed in others they carry within them something like that but in a veiled way so it is the divine arrangement that he wants to show it to us and we don't see it so he says um, only the nature of greed may be different somebody may be greedy for money another for food third person for positions so it's true of everything that this world is you know arranged in an amazing way there is an interconnectedness and this entire play of forces through which we have to negotiate become conscious master and offer them for transformation that's the big program that is given to us and that's why we all carry the shadow it's not because of some fundamental defect in us not because of sin and things like that because that shadow also wants to be offered and changed so this is the work we have to do